0: I want to take a moment, welcome you all to uh, our service here this morning at Westridge Church. I also want to just tell you, as we are looking back and uh, remembering 9/11 on this day as well, we are celebrating 14 years of Westridge Church being in, in existence. This is our 14th year anniversary, so we're excited about that. And uh, I want to just make a special recognition. He's not in the building, I don't think, right now. He's actually uh, over at uh, the West Campus. But uh, my associate pastor, Jim Akins, who many of you know, is celebrating, uh, this past week celebrated 30 years of full-time ministry. And that's a big deal. So I want you to give Jim a big hand. But also, when you see him, put your arm around him. I'm sure all of us probably remember exactly where you were Um, on 9-11. I remember even being in high school when Ronald Reagan got shot. I remember exactly where I was standing. Some of you who maybe are a little older, you remember exactly where you were when JFK was shot. But most of us in this room, we can remember exactly where we were in our lives on the morning of 9-11. Our staff, we were heading... Down south down uh, Highway 92, we were going to Douglasville. We had a staff meeting, kind of get together at the Arbor Place Mall uh, food court area. And uh, as we were driving, I started hearing on the news just some really strange stuff. I, Amy called me on the phone and she said, Brian, are you watching the news? And I said, No, I'm, I'm go- driving to the to the mall, and she said, you get there quick, you, you're not going to believe what's happening, and, and, and she started describing what was going on, and we ran into the mall, and we're watching on the on the jumbo screens that were in the food court, and and we're just, the, the first plane had already flown into the first tower, and I mean, we were just standing, there, just mouth wide open, like, what is going on, trying to figure out, man, did somebody make a mistake, or, you know, we were all wondering, and I'm sure you were in that same spot, and we we the the place was getting too loud and so we we jumped in into our cars and went across the street to the hampton 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 inn hotel and we stood there in the lobby with many many other people and i remember just leaning up against this wall and the tv was probably 20 feet in front of me my dad was standing next to me i remember mitch moyer was there and and steve veal paul richardson matt wilmington was standing near me If, if you've been here for a while you know that name and I remember we just stood there and watched this whole thing unfold. And I remember when that very, the first tower crumbled. I had my arms folded and I went down the wall with it, down to the floor. It, and I, it was just devastating. And then, of course, moments later, the, the second tower went down as well. And we look back on, on that day, uh, especially today, with, with, with just great remembrance But we also look back over the last 10 years, since September 11th, 2001, and we could honestly say that as a nation, we have been on quite a journey. Um, Since October uh, 2001, we've been at war with Afghanistan. Um, Since March of 2003, we have been at war in Iraq, and over 6,200 of our soldiers have have given their lives, and and many, many, many others have have, have been wounded in, in those wars, In 2005, we experienced Hurricane Katrina, and uh, that turned out to be the most costly natural disaster in U.S. history, and and one of of the top five most deadly. And we're still experiencing a a backlash of a recession that many believe began in 2006, and and according to Zillow, and I know some of you are wondering, what what is Zillow? It's a a website or an app that you can get that will tell you the value of your home, and you don't want to go there, trust me. But... Since, since the beginning of this and even now this recession, U.S. home prices have already fallen further during this economic downturn at about 26% than they did during the Great Depression, which was 25.9%. Today as a nation, we're nearly $15 trillion in debt. Just, just last month, uh, in the month of August, the, the S&P, which is, stands for the Standard & Poor, stripped the U.S. of its AAA credit rating and downgraded the world's largest economy to a, to a AA plus for the very first time in our history. And I saw this past week where foxnews.com recently reported that, that over 63% of people, 18 to 29, have basically lost hope in America's future. You don't have to turn the news on very long to realize that there are just a lot of people that are struggling. There are a lot of people that are discouraged. There are a lot of people who, who, who don't see a bright future ahead. And, and I think it would be safe to say that, that in the last 10 years since 9-11, there, there are just a lot of folks that we know, and maybe you're sitting here in this auditorium this morning, you've just lost hope. You're looking at a relationship. You're looking at a, a job situation. You're looking at your financial situation. Whatever it is that, you're, that is that is on your shoulders this morning, there's a lot of folks that have just lost hope. In the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, there's a guy by the name of Solomon. And um, some of you have heard of Solomon before. Maybe some of you have never heard of that name before. But the Bible tells us that he was the wisest, wealthiest man that ever lived. He was the son of Israel's greatest king. His mother's name was Bathsheba. Solomon followed his father David to the throne of Israel. And really his life was a tale of two stories. In his later years, Solomon was a man who followed after the heart of God and led Israel through several years of peace and prosperity. In his earlier years, however, Solomon went on an experimental journey to see what life would be like if he actually lived as if there were no God. And he says himself that he lived life under the sun with no regard for God who is above the sun. And the Bible tells us that he went on a journey to see if he could find the meaning of life. To see that if if, if he could find happiness and contentment. And he, he wrote a book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes that really serves as a journal of his pursuit. And as you get into that book in chapter 1, in, 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 in verse 1, here's what it says. It says, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And then you move over to verse 8 and it says, all things are wearisome more than one can say. I mean, this sounds like a guy who who, who literally has had the life sucked out of him. It sounds like a guy who has given up, who, who's ready to throw in the towel who has come to the end of himself. I mean, this is a guy who has truly lost hope. And I think Solomon's journey is very relevant for today because there are a lot of people out there who have, who have lost hope. Lost hope in a marriage. Lost hope in your stock situation, your, your IRA. You've lost hope in, in, in a job situation. You've lost hope in a relationship situation. You, you've lost hope in a schooling situation. You've lost hope in another person. You've just, you've come to the place where maybe you've just lost hope. And, And the question we have to say is, why are there so many people who've lost hope? Why have so many people lost hope? And I think the reason is, is because so many people try to find hope in wrong places. You look at the life of Solomon and you just see a guy who tried to find hope in so many different places. And he really lays it out for us. He tried to find hope in knowledge. Solomon says, I immerse myself in wisdom, read everything I could get my hands on. Maybe I can find meaning to life in just my smarts, my knowledge. And I, I will, Maybe I'll find some kind of hope in understanding, trying to just try to get a better grasp on things. Matter of fact, he's, he says that he grew to be the wisest man that ever ruled Jerusalem. But in verse 18, it says, for, much, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. And he says, the smarter I got, he says, the more miserable I became. It didn't bring me the hope I was looking for at all. Matter of fact, it just made me more miserable. And I think all of us would, would probably look at Solomon's life and we'd go, This is this is a really self sufficient dude here. He thought that by relying more on his own smarts, on more on his own intuition, that he could get life all figured out. And what he found out was that the more he relied on himself, the more he relied on his own knowledge and his own smarts, the more lost he felt, the more hopeless he became. He said, you can immerse yourself in all of this stuff in knowledge, but at the end of the day, you experience the same fate as the fool. You both die. And then he says he went on a pursuit of pleasure. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I thought in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what is good. Solomon decided to try his hand at hedonism. He went on a journey of self-indulgence and pleasure-seeking. And and he said, said, I I did not deny myself of anything I saw. He said, I I was on a total pursuit of pleasure. And basically anything that my heart desired, he said, "I, I, I either did it or I grabbed hold of it. But that also proved to be meaningless. And he said, at the end of the day, he said, pleasure just made me feel empty. It didn't bring me the answers that I was looking for. And then he talked about alcohol. Or even drugs. And he said, I, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. I mean, literally, he, he tried to overcome the state of hope, hopelessness with just sinking his life into drinking. Or, or, or even, maybe for some of you, drugs. And he thought, I'll try to find happiness and meaning in life just by getting drunk. It's just, I'm going to see, if I just numb my senses, then I won't have to think about just this hopeless feeling that I find. Hopefully, somehow or another, it will just help me to, to numb the pain of this feeling that I'm, that I'm experiencing. If I can just escape this emptiness that I'm feeling, everything will be better. And while I'm at it, I'll probably have more fun. And while I'm drunk, I'll just have more fun. I'll just do a bunch of stupid human tricks to see how much fun I can have. I want to see how much life I can live in a short amount of time. But in the end, he says, it just it proved to be worthless, and it made me even more hopeless. Then he talks about material stuff. He says in chapter 2, verse 4, he says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and I planted vineyards and I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them and I made reservoirs to, to water groves of flourishing trees. And here's Solomon. He's the wealthiest man of his day, and he basically used all of his wealth to collect as much stuff as he could. And he said, I built houses, I built gardens, I built lakes, I built parks. He said, I had everything I wanted, and yet when I surveyed everything that I had, it was useless to me. It didn't bring me the happiness that I thought it would. It didn't bring me the meaning to life that I was looking for, and it just made me more miserable. And he realized that one day, somebody would own all of the stuff that he was accumulating. And then he talked about power. Verse 7, he said, I bought male and female slaves, had other slaves who were born in my house, and I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Solomon was a very powerful king. He had influence, he had wealth, he he had more more people working for him than he knew what to do with. But yet, he still lacked the one thing that he wanted more than anything else, which was meaning to life. He had lost hope. The whole pursuit of power, the climb up of the corporate ladder, which some of you are on at this moment, just made him feel empty and worthless. Then he says, So I turned to relationships. He says, I acquired men and women singers. And a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. Now, let me just point something out to you for about about Solomon. This is a guy who had a lot of women. He was well known for his women. According to 1 Kings chapter 11, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Men, 1,000 women. That's all I'm going to say about that. I'm just not going to say anything about it, all right? But this guy was, I mean, you like the old Sade song? This guy was a smooth operator. I mean, this guy truly was a smooth dude. I mean, all you got to do is look at the book of of Song of Solomon's and you, you tell, this was a smooth guy. And there are a lot of people that are out there that try to find meaning to life and hope through relationships. They think that somehow or another meaning to life will be found through another person. If I can just get married, if I can just find a girlfriend, if I can just find a boyfriend, somehow or another, everything will come together for me. And I watch so many people. I watch high school girls all the time. I've got a son who's in high school. I watch middle school girls. I have a son who's in middle school. And vice versa, who just think if I could just have a boyfriend, if I could just get a girlfriend, everything, and they go from one to the next thinking that somehow or another, that's going to fill some emptiness or some void in their life. And I watch all this like you do, and it breaks my heart. I watch a lot of parents who, who try to fill a void in their own lives through their kids, sports, band, through academics. And we try as parents soft, so often to try to fill this void. So many, uh, uh, maybe you're doing that now. It's in your own life, just through your own kids' success. And when it doesn't happen, we feel like we want to take a bridge. And the next one is tough, because I think all of us in this room can relate to this one, Financial security. Solomon says in verse 8, he says, I amassed silver and gold for myself in the treasure of kings and provinces. He said, I became wealthier than any other king before me. When it came to finances, there was no one that had a portfolio like Solomon. He said he worked his tail off to accumulate all of this wealth. He put in long hours at the office. He got home late every night, all from financial security, all so that he and his family could have a little nest egg to retire on. But in verse 11, it says, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. I mean, here's a guy that had everything. This guy had everything that you could ever want, even in today's standards. And yet at the end of the day, he had nothing. And you look at this and you go, Man, that's depressing. That's depressing. It, what a depressing story. But think about it. You spend the best days of your life thinking that one of these things that we just talked about is going to bring you contentment. It's going to bring you the meaning in life that, that, that you're feeling. And you, you feel you feel it's going to fill a void that could hopefully maybe bring hope to your life. You, you put all your energy into thinking that if you could just have a little bit more of this or that or something or a relationship, that somehow you're going to be happy. And yet you wake up like Solomon one day and you just realize and you look around at this, this crazy pursuit, this perilous pursuit, and you realize that it was all meaningless and what eventually happens to people who try to find meaning to life in the wrong places is they become weary And they grow tired and eventually lose all hope Now what happens when people lose hope? Well, let's first of all talk about the word hope What is hope? Hope is to expect something with confidence It's to anticipate that something good is going to happen It's believing that tomorrow is going to be better than today It's, it's having faith that things will get better Wikipedia gives this definition. Hope is a belief in a positive outcome related to events and circumstances in one's life. Hope implies a certain amount of despair, a wanting, a wishing, a suffering, or a perseverance. In other words, believing that a better or positive outcome is possible even when there is some evidence to the contrary. And here's Solomon. As this guy surveys his life and the journey that he's been on, I mean, he, all hope has been lost. I mean, he is worn out. He is tired. He was depressed. He gave up on on believing that things would actually get better. And this is a guy who supposedly had everything. And yet look at what he says in verse 17 of chapter 2. He says, so I hated life. Hated it. He says, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me all of it is meaningless a chasing after the wind and then verse 22 he says what does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving for which he he labors under the sun all his days his work is pain and grief even at night his mind does not rest this too is meaningless and it's so interesting of what happens when we lose hope and i've watched a lot of people lose hope over the last 10 years and i'm sure many of you have as well it's interesting to watch that journey. And it's interesting what, what happens to us when we lose hope. First of all, we become negative. We become negative towards life and other people. And the next thing you know, we, we shut ourselves off from other people. We actually, we actually ice, begin to isolate ourselves and almost go into a cocoon, shutting off the rest of the world. And then we stop trusting God. And you may be in a tough time right now where, you, where you've lost hope in something. Maybe it's a relationship, a marriage. And you're at the place where you've just lost hope. Maybe you're single here this, this morning and, and you're lonely and, and, and you're losing hope in the idea that God has someone for you. Or maybe you're a high school student or a college student and you're going through a tough time. I mean, the semester may be only about a month old or so, but you're looking at your classes and you're looking at, at, at the schedule ahead of you in the future. And you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel and you're just getting ready to lose hope or quit or walk away from something. I mentioned financial security a moment ago. I mean, this has probably been the area that, that has impacted all of us. In the, in the past four or five years, it's is, is probably been the most difficult financial time that I've ever experienced, for sure, in my lifetime. It's interesting what people do during financial insecure times. They, they immediately lose hope and they stop trusting in God. And I'll tell you where you see it more, reflected more than any other place you see it in their giving. Rather than trust God, what do we do? In the church, we try to rein everything in. And during tough times, we try to hold it as close to our chest as we can, thinking that somehow or another, we can do a better job of managing this money that we feel like is ours rather than God. And why do we do that? Fear. That's all there is to it. It just comes down to fear. And the problem is, when we kick God out of our finances, we set ourselves up for disaster. But on the other hand, when we invite him into our bank account, when we invite him into our investments, even during the worst of times, we set ourselves up for miracles and blessings. Um, back in, in, in 1995, Amy and I were getting ready to have our first son. Taylor was getting ready to come into the world, and Amy and I owned a house. We had, um, we had a student loan that we were trying to pay off. Um, We had a a, a car payment uh, that we were trying to to pay off as well. And we were kind of stuck way upside down in this thing. Um, I'll just be really honest with you. Amy owned a yellow Geostorm. And our target audience for selling this car was very limited. College girls, high school girls. That's pretty much what it came down to. Now, I want to just tell you, I mean, we were, we, what, We were in a situation where um, I was a a full-time student pastor at a a church. Amy was a a, a school teacher. And and we really felt like God had put it on our heart that Amy was going to stay home and, and raise our children at home. And uh, many of you have made that decision. Some of you uh, ladies, you work outside the house and you work just as hard inside the house. But for us at that very moment, that's what God had put on our heart. But we knew as we looked at our financial picture, we knew it was going to be extremely tough. It was going to be a huge sacrifice and that we were going to have to rearrange some things. And so we looked at that yellow geo storm and we said, Lord, somehow or another, you've got to help us to sell this thing. And we knew we were gonna. Some, we we knew that. I mean, if reality played out, we were gonna take a somewhat of a bath on this car. And so we put it in the paper. I remember we were selling it for seventy two hundred dollars, but our bottom line was sixty eight hundred. We said this is about as much bath as we can take on this car that was upside down. And so, sure enough, college girls started calling us, and they came over looked at it. But we had a, had a guy who called, he said, listen, my, my daughter's getting ready to graduate from high school, and I'm looking for a, a car for her to, for college, and, and I, we'd like to come over and look at your car, and so we said, come on over, so he comes over, and he brings his daughter, and they take it out for a drive, and, and, and he says, now, how much you're asking? I said, $7,200. He said, how much do you owe on it? And well, I'm thinking, you're getting a little personal now. About $7,200. I said, we're just, and he said, would you take 65? And I said, I can't take 65. He goes, what's your bottom line? I go, what's your offer? I mean, you know, he finally got me to admit I'm at 68. That, I mean, I just, we, we just kept talking back and forth. And so he, he kind of walked away from me for a moment called his wife on the phone. And he comes back to me and he goes, here's what, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you 75. I said, what? I said, hold on a second. I went to get Amy. I said, Amy, you got to come out here and listen to this. So Amy comes out and, you know, I said, this guy is going to give us $7,500 for a car we're asking $7,200 for. And I just said, why would you do something like that? And he said, you know what? He goes, I'm a Christian. He said, and and I know uh, you told me you're a student pastor. And he said, I remember when I was starting out and I was young and we didn't have anything. And I remember when we were having our first child, which is my daughter standing here and how tough things were. And he said, God's blessed me. We want to bless you. And I want to tell you something. I mean you just, I I remember, you know, even now going, how does that happen? How does that happen? I want to tell you how that happened for us because we, it happened for us because we didn't lose trust in God's promises to take care of us during difficult times. We just threw it out there and said, God, you're going to have to take care of this because you know we can't do this in our own ability. Our hope was in his ability to navigate us out of a tough financial situation, not in our own. Even though times were tough in our own circumstances during that time, we did not lose hope because we had grown up watching God do this over and over and over again. And you think about this guy Solomon for a moment. He became negative in the midst of his journey, he became weary. He lost hope. He was, he was emotionally, physically, and spiritually spent. And he said over and over and over again, listen, life is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now, the word meaningless, and in the original Hebrew language, according to some scholars, is directly connected to a sigh. I mean, the word even sounds like a sigh, doesn't it? I mean, when you're frustrated and you're worn out, what do you do? You just go... I mean, when, when you feel like life is just coming against you and, and, you're, and you lose all hope and you're ready to give up and, and life doesn't make any sense, you just kind of just, when you don't know what else to say, you just you just sigh. And maybe that's where some of you are this morning. The best you can do right now is just sigh because you've lost all hope or you're on the brink of losing all hope So where do we find hope when life seems hopeless? Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says this. So I pray that God who gives you hope will keep you happy and full of peace as you believe in him. May you overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to point something out that the Apostle Paul just said right there. He said that we can be a source of hope to those around us who feel hopeless. He says this, he says, may you, talking about believers, he wrote this to the church in Rome, he says, may you overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we as believers in this dark time where this, some folks have called the lost decade, these last 10 years, we have been called to be ambassadors of hope to bring hope as the Holy Spirit outflows from, out, from on, out, out from us. We've been called to bring hope, to let people know that all hope's not been lost. If you're putting in all this other stuff, yes, but if it's in God who we anchor our faith in, all hope has not been lost. We are a source of hope to those around us who feel hopeless at this moment. But then Paul says, we can find hope as we draw it from the ultimate source of hope. Paul prays for these Christians in Rome that as they trust in God, that that they would be filled with happiness and peace and hope. In other words, Paul says, our God is a God of hope. The God that we serve this morning, the God that we've been singing about, the God that we're going to sing about in just a moment, the God that I've been preaching about. He is a God of hope. He's the ultimate source of our hope. Our confidence in the present, our confidence in the future does not come from knowledge. It does not come from power. It does not come from the material stuff that we're trying to accumulate. It doesn't come from from our relationships, our marriages. It doesn't come from our financial security. It comes from Jesus Christ. It comes from God alone. And Paul says that God, God who is our source of hope, he will bring happiness and peace as you believe in him, as you, as you put your trust in him. As you trust in him, as you take your fears and your doubts and your insecurities and your, wear, and your worries and, 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 and our hopelessness, as you put it into his hands, believing in his ability to take care of us, he brings into our life happiness and peace the peace of God that passes all understanding, They understand that we scratch our heads over and say, I don't even understand where this is coming from. God gives us hope as we trust in him. In the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a story of a dad who lost all hope. His son was demon-possessed. Some of you are going, that's my story. This dad has a little boy who has been demon-possessed since he was young. And when the demon would come on him, the boy would just go into seizures and he couldn't talk anymore. And, 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 and he would begin to foam at the mouth. And this dad tells a story of how that even the demon would just throw him into, into fire or throw him into water to try to kill him. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Listen, he says, I'm at the end of my rope. He said, Even your disciples can't cast this demon out. Can you? And Jesus says, I can do all things to those who believe. And this guy, I love this prayer of this dad. He says, I believe, but please help me to believe even more. What a prayer. God, I believe you, but please, will you help me to believe even more? And Jesus casts the demon out of this little boy and brings all hope back to a lost situation. And I love, and you pick it up in Matthew 17, the disciples, they come to Jesus in private and they go, why couldn't we do this? Why couldn't we drive it out? And he replies, he says, because you have so little faith. He says, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus said, when our faith, when our trust, when our hope is in the right place, all things are possible. There is nothing that we cannot overcome when our faith is anchored in him. This past week, our president Proposed a $447 billion plan for our Congress called the American Jobs Act. And I want to tell you something. I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat. I hope that works because I want to see our country succeed. I'm an American and a Christian well before I'm a Republican or a Democrat. I want to see America get back on the right foot again and to begin to succeed. And I want to see you succeed as well. But I will tell you this. I'll tell you this, our faith and hope is not found in a new government program or plan. Our faith is not in a government official. Our hope is found in a God that promises to bring peace and contentment to our lives as, as we see things around us crumbling. And as we trust in him and as we believe in him, what does he do? He brings hope to our life. He brings meaning to our life. He gives us confidence. You look back at Solomon when he began his pursuit. What was he? He he was trying so hard and yet at the end he was hopeless. He went on a pursuit to find meaning and hope and it just made him more hopeless. And I want to tell you something that may surprise you. Don't miss this. Hopelessness is not a bad place to be at times if it causes you to reach out to your ultimate source of hope, our God. Because sometimes you have to get to that place of hopelessness Before you're willing to come to the end of yourself and reach out to the only one who can truly bring hope into your life, which is Jesus Christ. You look at Solomon at the end of his pursuit, at the end of the meeting, he realized that hope was found in God alone. And in chapter 3, verse 10, I want want you to hear what he says in Ecclesiastes. He says, I've seen the burden that God has laid on men. What burden you talk about? It's the burden of us trying so hard to find meaning, to try to find hope in all of these other things. And then he says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. And yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. What does that mean? It means that in every person, God has put a big hole that can only be filled with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we spend our lives trying to fill that void It's like putting a key into a a slot that can only be turned by that particular key. And yet that's what's here. This only can be filled with Jesus by a relationship with Jesus. And yet we try relationships to fill it. We try financial security. We try material stuff. We try power. We try pleasure. I'm going to see if that key will work. That key will never work. It will always end you up at the same exact spot, hopelessness. The only thing that will ever fill that void is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of people out there right now that are struggling. And there are a lot of, there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of unrest. And there's a lot of worry and there's a lot of doubt. And there's a lot of people that have lost hope. And I want you to know this morning that our God is a God of hope. and as we sang a moment ago and as we're getting ready to sing again he's a God who is able he's a God who is able to bring hope to any situation you may be facing any question that you may that may be dogging your life right now he has an answer to it he has an answer to that and so I want to ask you some questions and as we do that I want to bring hope to your life not from me but from what scripture tells us about hope are you having a hard time right now finding direction or wisdom? Psalm chapter 25 verse 5 says, "Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you, God, are my savior, my what? My hope in you all day long." Do you feel weak this morning? Do you feel weak? Psalm 31:24 says, "Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord." Do you need God's help and his protection right now? Psalm chapter 33, verse 20 says, We wait in hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Do you feel threatened by something or do you feel threatened by someone? Psalm 37, 9 says, For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Are you depressed this morning? Are you discouraged? Psalm chapter 42, verse 5 says, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put Your hope in God, for yet I will praise him, my savior and my strength. Psalm chapter 62, verse five says, uh, are you uptight about or ambitious or or even anxious about your future? He says, find rest on my soul and God alone. My hope comes from him. Some of you in this room have lost your confidence this morning. You're walking around overwhelmed with fear and you don't know where to turn next. You're desperate this morning. Psalm chapter 119 verse 147 says, I will rise before dawn and cry for help. I have put my hope in your word. Psalm chapter 71 verse 5 says, For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. Do you feel like the Lord's been unfair to you? And I know some of you are at that place right now. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 25 says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. Do you feel this morning that there's no hope for your future? You're looking out and everything just seems bleak. It's like nothing but a just dead end to you, a black wall. Proverbs 23, verse 18 says, There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you ready to throw in the towel? Have you lost your hope? Oh, listen to this one. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run. They will not grow weary. They will walk and they will not our strength, may we find our hope, may we find our rest.